Hello, and welcome to another episode of Resurrections, an Adam Warlock podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano, and I'd like to start off this episode by apologizing for the fact this episode is a few days later than it should have been out. I'm sorry, between tax season and a few other things, personally, uh, kind of got away from me, but I'm hoping this won't happen again in the future. Or if it does, at least not very often. Anyway, this episode we're going to be covering Thor 165, which is part three of the four-part four issues that Adam Warlock guest starred in Mighty Thor. And this is going to be the last two episodes we're going to see him as him, because starting after that is Marvel Premiere, where he actually gets the name Adam Warlock. Which is good, because I'm getting tired of saying the word him. It really doesn't roll off the tongue right, and it really makes recording a pain in the ass. But for now, let's get to this month's episode, which is, as I said, Thor 165. Before we get into the new issue, I'd like to first just go over real quick the main cast of this issue for anyone who doesn't know who they are. And then we're going to do a recap of the issue from last episode, Thor 164. But first, here's our cast. We have Thor. Thor is the Norse god of thunder. He's super strong, he's invulnerable, he can control the weather, and he also has a mystic hammer, Molnir, which he can use to fly and traverse through dimensions. And of course, he can also use the hammer to just beat people senseless with it. The Lady Sif is an Asgardian. She is a goddess, and she is currently the girlfriend of Thor. She is also a pretty cool butt kicker in her own right. Baldur the Brave is another Asgardian who is friends of Thor and Sif. He is in love with Carnola the Norn Queen, and she is in love with him. And uh, from what I've seen in the last few episodes, he's also a little bit crazy. Speaking of Carnola, Carnola the Norn Queen is the Queen of the Norns. She's apparently an enemy of Asgard, but she is in love with Baldur the Brave, who is an Asgardian. Odin is the king of the Asgardians and is also Thor's father. The Watcher is a Marvel Cosmic character. His real name is Uatu. He's from the race of the Watchers. And apparently what they do is just watch. They're all around the universe and they just watch and record what happens. They have sworn an oath to never interfere. Which means every time the Watcher appears, he interferes. It's going to happen this issue. Wait till you get to the synopsis. And finally, him. Him is an artificial being that was created by some evil scientists to help them rule the world. He didn't like that, ended up destroying their base completely with them along with it, and then went to space where he would not return for a millennia, or two years, because that happened two years ago as far as when this comic came out, and now he's back. And before we get into this issue, let's do a quick recap of Thor 164, which was covered in episode 4. Thor and Sif fight Pluto and his mutates in the future. And when the battle moves to the 20th century, are joined by Baldur the Brave and the U.S. military. The battle is finally won when Zeus finds out what Pluto is up to and removes him and his mutate army. Here we are with the issue for this episode, Thor 165, Him. Written by Stan Lee, penciled by Jack Kirby, ink by Vince Coletta, letterer Artie Simic. It had a cover date of June 1969 and went on sale on April 3rd, 1969 with a cover price of 12 cents. The cover art was by Jack Kirby and Vince Coletta. The issue starts with Thor, Sif, and Baldur 
standing on a tank during a parade to celebrate last issue's victory over Pluto and his mutates. At the end of the parade, Thor tells the general about his intent to investigate whomever is the mysterious being that Pluto feared inside the Atomic Research Center. Meanwhile, in the land of the Norns, Carnilla, the queen, calls on Hag, the Cirrus, to help her with her problem with Baldur. And I'm saying it that way because there's an extra A in her name. It's not Hag, H-A-G, it's Hag, H-A-A-G. So it's Hag. She's offered him her heart and has been rejected. She wants revenge, but apparently Earth is beyond her reach. But not Hag's. Hag is very excited to strike against Asgard and leads Carnilla to the space pool, where they will find Baldur and Hag will be able to grab him with her hand. They find him, but before Hag can grab him, Carnilla wishes to see what him and his companions are up to. Back on Earth, the Asgardians wander the halls of the Atomic Research Center in search of whatever or whomever Pluto feared. They search until Sif senses a maddening aura of alien power, and both Baldur and Thor hear a humming noise coming from a room ahead of them. Before they can reach the source, a blinding light surrounds them, the building shakes, and Kirby Crackle appears all over. At the end of the hall, the cocoon that we have been seeing at the end of the last two issues of Thor finally opens, and revealed inside is, of course, Adam Warlock. Well, Adam when he was still called him. Technically, it was even before he was called him, except on the cover. So, either way, it's Adam. Adam slash him has been reborn, but is not sure why he is back on Earth. He exits the room and meets Thor and the others, and gives him a quick recap of his origin from Fantastic Four 66 and 67. He also names himself for the first time as him. So I guess I'm just going to be calling him him for the next few episodes, at least until he formally gets a real name. After he destroyed the Beehive in Fantastic Four 67, him left Earth to search for his destiny among the stars. However, shortly after his departure from Earth, he is caught in a space trap, which has also collected a large group of meteors. After repeatedly being hit by them, him enters his cocoon again, with the last thing he remembers seeing is a spaceship coming towards him, and then waking up on Earth. We are then shown what happened next. The Watcher was in the spaceship, and it set the trap as well. The trap was just to catch meteors from distant worlds for study, but it accidentally caught him as well. Conveniently, there was a satellite nearby that was about to make an automatic re-entry into Earth's atmosphere, and the Watcher puts the cocoon inside so it can go back to Earth. Back in the present, Thor tells him that mankind is not as bad as his creators were, but him is still in the 19th century English poetry phase he was in when he first emerged from his cocoon, and tells Thor that, I have no wish to hear your words. I am him. I am law and truth unto myself. However, he is lonely and desires a mate. Since he finds Sif pretty, and she's also the only girl in sight, he picks her. Thor is, of course, not happy that another guy wants his girlfriend. But him is able to mentally push Thor and Baldur away, so he can teleport away with Sif. Thor and Baldur follow, using Mjolnir. In Asgard, the Astrologer Royal has been searching for wherever in the universe Galactus may have come from at Odin's request, and has found a long-hidden galaxy. Odin commands him to study the galaxy, and to let him know as soon as the astrologer knows all there is to learn about it. While that is happening, Thor and Baldur have followed him and Sif, but him blasts Thor and causes an earthquake to keep Thor away. Before he can renew his attack on him, Hag shows up and grabs Baldur with her hand, which has grown to grotesque proportions. Thor is able to rescue Baldur and drive her away, 
but when they turn around, him and Sif are gone. The issue ends with Thor vowing to rescue Sif and get his vengeance upon him. Well, that was Thor 165, and now let's go over my notes for that issue. Okay, first off, the cover. I like the cover. It has a black background with him in the middle holding Sif at the waist. She's reaching for Thor, but her sword is still in her other hand, and Thor has his back to us. He's holding his hammer up, and he's ready to strike. Page one. The issue opens with a nice but not exciting splash page of Thor, Sif, and Balder standing on a tank with their raised swords for the parade. And in the credit box, it says that the issue was produced in a paroxysm of passion. And I haven't really heard the word paroxysm before, so I had to look it up. Uh, I see two meanings for it. It's a noun. Uh, One, any sudden violent outburst, a fit of violent action or emotion. Two, a severe attack or a sudden increase in intensity of a disease. So I guess that means that Stan and Jack kind of were played for a deadline and did this whole issue one day. Or night. Okay, on page two in the first panel, it's kind of interesting to note that all the soldiers shown in the parade have the peace symbol on their arms. Uh, it's an interesting little touch that Jack put in there. And then on panel three, Thor tells the general that once it's over, he wants to go see what Pluto is so worried about in the Atomic Research Center. So now he wants to go, not as soon as it was done, to see what it was, whether it was something he had to worry about. He apparently had time to wait for a victory parade and probably some cleanup and other stuff. So it's probably been a couple days since the last issue. I would have gone there a lot quicker, but I'm not an Asgardian god, so I don't know if it's up to me to judge him or second-guess him. On page 3, panel 2, the general tells Thor that whatever they find inside the Atomic Research Center belongs to the U.S. government. And Thor just told him a page ago it was probably a person. So is the general saying that the government owns people? That's just not cool. The general seemed pretty cool last issue, now he's a dick. And on page four, uh, well, I already talked about the name Hag in synopsis. It's just really weird to say. But I just say that Kirby did draw her very creepy, and she seems really happy to be that way. Very happy to be creepy. In fact, after reading this, I really want to set her up on a date with the sad from the new gods. I think they'd get along really well. In page five, um, panel two, we get some of the famous Stan Lee alliteration. As we are told, none can escape the hoary hand of Hag. <laughs> and on panel three, uh, when Carnilla holds Hag back from grabbing Balder right away, I'm glad she read the script and she knew not to try and grab him yet. Because if she did, then Thor and Sif would have gone right after him. And when him woke up out of his cocoon, he would have seen nobody there and just went off into space. And then showing that it was cocoon in the last few panels, the last few issues would have been pointless. So good job, Cornella. You kept yourselves in the podcast for at least another episode. On page 7, I'm going to read the caption boxes that have in panels 2 and 3. I have a point to make with what it says in the caption boxes, but also while I'm reading it, I'm actually going to try and say it with the emphasis on the words that they have bolded, because I just want to see what it sounds like. A figure rises as though an answer to some inner urging, as though his time has finally come. A figure begins to silently emerge as from a monstrous gray cocoon. As from a monstrous gray cocoon? Um, Stan, it is a cocoon. It's been called that several times. By you. You can't say something is like something 
when it actually is that something. I can't say it's so hot like an oven when I'm talking about an oven. <laughs> but I will say on panel four, the image of him bursting forth from his cocoon, cocoon is pretty friggin' awesome. Page eight is a very creepy splash page of him's fa- hidden face. And we've seen this, what he says here, that whatever the changes have happened to him, he is still in his wannabe 19th century English poet phase. And look, an editor's note on where he last appeared. How novel. I found it so weird that back then they would do it all the time, when it was so hard to find issues, but in this era of digital comics and everything being traded that we don't see that more often. And this is also where he finally names himself him. Obviously, an imagination was not one of his superpowers. Page 9, we're on panel 1. Ah, Stan, you called it a cocoon right there. Not like cocoon. You called it a cocoon. On panel 3, Kirby obviously does not remember what all of the beehive scientists look like. I mean, we only see two of them. And the first one does look like... Bald scientist. But I have no idea who the other one is supposed to be. And on panel four, we can see that him in his first life had no pupils. His eyes were all white. Now it looks like he does have pupils. So I'm guessing that must have been a change that happened between his first life and his second one. Maybe it's his uh, adapting, becoming more human looking. All right, on page 10, I just want to point out it's called a cocoon again. And on page 11 is where we get the watcher. And Kirby's watcher, I felt, was always a bit chunky. And also, from reading The Watcher over the years, I get the feeling that the oath he has to not interfere is more of a guideline. A very flexible guideline. Alright, page 12 is where The Watcher takes him's cocoon and puts it in the satellite to send it back to Earth. Now, he says he regrets that him got caught in his trap because he does not want to interfere. That's his oath to not interfere. But if he really wanted to not interfere, why did he just leave Adam in the cocoon where he was? He would have come out of the cocoon eventually and just gone on his merry way. Instead, the Watcher sends him back to Earth, and that causes everything that's happening in this issue and the next one, pretty much. And also reading this, I'm realizing that Adam's always going to keep a bit of the 19th century poet in every incarnation of his life. But the early versions of him are really self-righteous. I mean, I think some of the other ones are also a bit self-righteous, but these kind of jerky self-righteous right now. Page 13, this is where him decides that he wants Sif. Because he says, she is pleasant to my eyes, thus I do choose her. Sif calls him an infant because he just wants to take whatever he wants. But Thor's pretty childlike here, too, because his reaction is, And I say thee, she be mine. Also on that page, we get the use of the word forsooth. And I had to look this one up, too, to see what it actually means, because, well, I wasn't sure if I could trust they were using it correctly. They are. It's an adverb. Archaic. In truth, in fact, indeed. Now, used in derision or to express disbelief. And Thor used it to express this belief, so it's used correctly. I'm impressed. On page 16, this is the page where we have Odin and his royal astrologer. 
And I love how Odin's telling his astrologer to study this world that he found and to tell him when he's learned all about it. Not before he learns all about it, once he learns all about it. It's very specific there. Uh, it reminds me of the scene from Monty Python and the Holy Grail, the scene with the Holy Hand Grenade. And the Lord spake, saying, First shalt thou take out the holy pin, then shalt thou count to three, no more, no less. Three shall be the number thou shalt count, and the number of the counting shall be three. Four shalt thou not count, neither count thou two, excepting that thou then proceed to three. Five is right out. Once the number three, being the third number, be reached, then lobbest thou thy holy hand grenade of Antioch towards thy foe, who being naught in my sight, Shall snuff it? Amen. Amen. Right. One, two, five. Three, sir. Three. Also, I'm not sure if the astrologers found a whole hidden galaxy. Why does Odin want him to concentrate on just one world? We see other ones in the panel. I mean, is there any reason why? But the panel is a great example, though, of Kirby Cosmic. I love this panel. It's really cool looking, and I'm really hoping I can find, a, find it so I can put it on the Tumblr site. Page 18, this is where Hag is trying to grab Baldur. And now we see the hoary hand of Hag, and it's pretty hoary and creepy. I mean, it's, got, it's all green, has hair sticking out of it, and it's huge and misshapen. And after seeing that and see how happy she still is again to be doing evil stuff, I really want to stir up with this ad. I swear, their eHarmony profile must match like crazy. And then at the end of the page, uh, we get a really pissed off looking Thor. But never mind, because the issue ends on page 20 of even more pissed off looking Thor. He is not a happy god, and I think him should probably watch his ass next issue. If you want to pick yourself up a copy of this issue... Besides the original, you have the same three choices as last time. There's Essential Thor, Volume 3, which will be in black and white, Marvel Masterworks Thor, Volume 8, and finally the Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited site, which is how I'm reading the issue. Now it's time to check in with Adam's friends. Each episode, we're going to see what the people who have previously encountered Adam Warlock are up to. So the same month that Thor 165 came out, Fantastic Four 87 came out, since they're the only ones who have encountered Adam or him so far. So, Fantastic Four 87, The Power and the Pride. Creative team is still Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. After Sue saves her teammates and the villagers from certain death, the Fantastic Four prepare to assault Doom's fortress. Things do not go according to either side's plan when priceless art is put in harm's way. I was thinking recently, and I realized that I'm not exactly sure what Adam's powers are. I mean, he's not a character whose name is pretty descriptive about what power he has, like, going back to the Fantastic Four, the Invisible Girl, turns invisible, the Human Torch, becomes a literal Human Torch, Adam Warlock, magic powers, I guess? I'm not really sure. So, each episode we're going to go through and kind of catalog... What powers Adam example, you know, uses? What does he show he can do? And we missed a few, obviously, a few episodes of this, so we're going to be playing catch-up for a few episodes, and hopefully catch-up eventually. 
So today we're going to be covering his first cocoon and also whatever form he had before he went his first cocoon when he first escaped from the beehive and went into the caverns in Lock 41. So in his first form, before he went into his first cocoon, which is all shown in flashback in Fantastic Four 66, we see examples of super strength on page 13 and radiating light on page 14. So in that form, he had at least two powers. And now let's take a look at what powers he showed while he was in his first cocoon, which was back in Fantastic Four 66 and 67. So first off, he was able to create explosions, which was on FF66, page 10, and flame creation and control, which was on page 19. And then going to the powers shown on Fantastic Four 67, we have radiating light, creating force fields, and energy blasts, which all were on page 4, matter creation and control, which is when he created the tendrils out of the ground that grabbed Hamilton, and that was page 5. Voice projection, page 9. And super hearing, which is also page 9. Because obviously he had to have super hearing if he was able to hear Alicia from however far away she was, and while in a cocoon. So all in all, that was 8 powers he had. Um, and obviously the super strength didn't translate from the first incarnation of life to the cocoon, because the cocoon really can't do anything, so he can't have strength. And actually, did he have the light? Yes, he was able to... Okay, so Radiant Light seems to be so far the only continuing power he's had in both versions that we've seen. So, let's see. That's a lot of... That's a pretty wide range of powers. That's pretty damn powerful. And let's... We'll see next time what power he was able to do the first time he was out as him. As you've heard in the last few episodes, I've been talking about the upcoming Asbury Park Comic Con. And as of right now, it is the past Asbury Park Comic Con. But I did get to go. I went on that Sunday with my brother. Uh, we went there for the afternoon and had a pretty good time. Um, and I also picked up a few books there. Uh, let's see. First of all, I picked up a book by a pretty cool indie artist and creator that I met actually a few years ago at the Comic Geek Peak Super Show, Monica Gallagher. It was a book called Boobage. Uh, it's not actually pornographic or sexual in any way. It's more about her dealing with body issues and was pretty entertaining. I also picked up the first volume of Molly Danger by Jamal Eigel, which was published by Action Light Comics after he did a Kickstarter to get it published. I also picked up a copy of Warlock number 2, because while the Warlock series, like the Thor issues and the Fantastic Four issues I did, are on the Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited, it is more fun to use the actual issues if I can, because it actually has the letters pages and the bullpen bulletins and the solicitations and all the other fun stuff in there. And my brother got a print of Phoenix by Ali Solomon, another indie artist. And actually a cool thing also about the convention was besides the food at the in the hotel where it was kept, they also had some food trucks outside that you can get food from. So we had empanadas, courtesy of Empanada Guy, and also had liquid nitrogen ice cream by Freezy Freeze. And that was fun to watch them make, because you could actually see the smoke coming out from the liquid nitrogen they used. And after the con, we went to have a drink at a bar that was nearby called Wonder Bar, and found out Wonder Bar does Yappy Hour. Uh, Every once in a while, apparently Yappy Hour is, they have a closed-off area outside, it's fenced in, and you can bring your dog during Yappy Hour, and while you have a drink, your dog can run around and play with you. And that was pretty cool. So if you're interested in these things, uh, check out Monica Gallagher's website at eatyourlipstick.com. 
Jamal Eigel has his own site, jamaleigel.com, and you can also check out Action Lab Comics at actionlabcomics.com. Ali Solomon's website is wheelsinmotion.com with a Z and 7S for wheels, and the Phoenix print is actually on there. You can see it. Empanada Guy is empanadaguy.com. And if you're in the New Jersey area, you can contact Freezy Freeze at freezyfreeze1 at gmail.com. And Wonder Bar's website is wonderbarasburypark.com, and I'll be putting links to all of these in the Tumblr page. Before I play the promo that I'm going to use in this episode, I just want to preface it with saying that it is one I've used before. I believe I used it in episode two. It's a promo for the show The Fantastic Cast, and I like to play it because in their most recent episode, episode 76, they covered Fantastic Four 67, which was our episode two. It's the first appearance of actual appearance of Adam Warlock. And in that episode, they played a promo for my show. So I think it's only fair to return the favor and play theirs again. The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. The ship, our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy, can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happening to you. You're changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us? I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. Or soon the mole man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth, and half mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms and the hands of Dr. Doom. The Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You earthlings can't change the way I can. At least I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you, for I am the thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four are no more, and the planet Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatons, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. Fool, you're just a muscular freak. Blind or whore. Stop! You must not end on the task of Diablo. My journey has ended. I think she'll sustain to the distinct range of all elemental life. So speak, Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning. Witness the origins of a legend. The Fantasticast. ffcast.libsyn.com And thanks to the Fantasticast for playing the promo. I have an email to read this time. This email came from W. Blaine Dowler, and the funny thing is it came on April 13th because uh, Keith Mason's email, which is the last email we got, came on March 13th. So apparently the 13th is email day around here. Anyway, here's his email. Uh, It's called Podcast Feedback. Hello there. I just learned about your podcast via the Fantasticast, and I listened to all episodes to date this afternoon. I'm looking forward to hearing more from you particularly when you get to the issues where Adam Warlock actually makes decisions that impact the outcome. Well, Blaine, you're there now, so I hope you like it. 
FYI, the About section of your Podbean website has no content. You might want to look at that when you have a moment. Blaine. Well, Blaine, when I originally started the podcast, my intention was to host the episodes on archive.org and then just link to it on my Tumblr page and therefore do it for free. That did not work out nearly as well as I had hoped. And so I end up going to Podbean to put up the episodes, and now it's on iTunes. And at that point, I think it was about the time I was doing episode three, I finally got it up on iTunes. I already had the Tumblr page going for a little while, and there was plenty of stuff on there. So I didn't want to lose that and just go to Podbean. So I thought I put a link to the Tumblr page on Podbean and wrote that I was just going to use Podbean to host the episodes, and if you actually wanted any other content to go to the Tumblr page. I'm going to have to recheck that, and I might actually then have to put something else in the About section. Because it couldn't hurt anyway. So folks, Blaine is giving you another reason to write in. Besides hearing your name set on air and me reading your email, instant gratification of what you want. So send me an email. Send it at resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. While we're on the subject of email and communication, you can also check out my Tumblr page, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. I put up images from the issues after I put up the episode, and I also have all the links will be there for anything I'm talking about this this episode. And then also, just so you know, I also do have a second podcast that I do with Brian Zeno from the Podwits. It's a monthly podcast we do about current comics we're reading called Four Color Fanboys, and you can find that at fourcolor.podwits.com. I don't think we have the first episode up on iTunes yet, but hopefully we'll have it up there soon. Well, that's it for another episode of Resurrections and Adam Warlock Podcast. I hope you all enjoyed it, and I, again, I'm sorry for the fact that this episode was a few days late. Hopefully I'll be able to prevent that from happening much in the future. And I just want to give thanks to a few websites that helped out in the uh, my research for this episode, for this issue. There's, of course, the Fantastic Cast for playing the promo. You can find them on iTunes under Fantastic Cast, or you can go to their webpage, ffcast.libson.com. And then for the websites where I got the actual information from is ComicBookDB, which can be found at comicbookdb.com. The Complete Marvel Reading Order, which is at cmro.travis-starns.com. And Mike's Amazing World of Comics at dcindexes.com links to all these will be made in the show notes on the Tumblr page and I'll be back on May 1st for episode 6 where we will cover Thor 166 which is the last of the Thor issues I'll see you then, bye Resurrections and Adam Warlock Podcast is a fan-made production. I make no money off of this, and I make no claims of ownership over the Mighty Thor, the Watcher, Adam Warlock, or any other characters that are mentioned in this episode. These characters are a property of Marvel Comics, and, which is owned by Disney. Please don't sue me. And I also make no claims of ownership or any type over Monty Python, except for the fact that I think they're awesome, and I would like to see them live one day. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle.
both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. And now we're going to see which powers he showed while he was in his first cocoon. <sighs> Meanwhile, in the land of the Norns, Carnilla. 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 